You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Sam Williamson. I help connect businesses with their tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Enrico, Maria, Mattis, and Pierre to discuss the topic of how to maintain team culture whilst working remotely. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Enrico, would you like to kick us off? Sure, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm a long-term freelance slash consultant on uh, various types of projects. I started out in games development, uh, done mobile projects uh, before I moved on to dashboards and web applications. And I've in the last few years worked as a tech lead at uh, Comply Cloud, uh, doing legal tech, uh, specifically GDPR, where I've done front-end development, technical management, and helped uh, growing a uh, small uh, tech team from three people into thir- now 30 people. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Maria? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm currently working as a CTO of Zoe Agency, where we are doing a benchmarking system. I have previously been working with different hospital projects where I managed to gather the teams to build different applications uh, within the software for the hospitals, gathering different kind of patient data and so on. Uh, I had my hands inside of the ward project, if anyone heard of that, uh, where we started to build an app in the late 2019 and ended up uh, being hit by COVID. And suddenly we had to monitor COVID patients instead of monitoring basic high-risk patients. So that was quite a fun experience. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, Mattis? Yes, thank you. So I'm a uh, senior front-end engineer in a company called Coinify, where we basically try to revolutionize uh, crypto payments and trading and make crypto really available for everyone, every merchant and every person in the world, more or less, uh, to we are trying to like basically figure out how to make it really simple for everyone to to be able to operate it um i am really glad to be here and yeah i'm really looking forward to talk about various topics that we have scheduled for today so in short about it thank you uh, i am too looking forward to this one and last but not least pierre yeah hi uh thank you uh i'm uh, the director of engineering at Team, where we build a platform for productivity and collaboration in professional environments uh, what it means is that we build the hardware, uh, basically, that you plug uh, into a screen and you can share your laptop, mobile, tablet, or during a call seamlessly and wirelessly. Uh, when you're not actively interacting with the screen also, you can load some contents or remotely manage uh, the device through a cloud platform. Uh, today, I manage quite a large team now, uh, and I'm also super looking forward to, to dive into the topic that we have today. Thank you for doing that. Now that we've uh, all established a context around each of you and know who you are, uh, let's move into the topic in focus. You've all got a question or a statement uh, on how to maintain team culture whilst working remotely. And as usual, we'll work around the room to pose your question and the reasons behind it to each of you have the opportunity to give your take and perspective on each situation. So I believe we're going to start with Pierre's question. He wanted to know how to maintain a high level of engagement while still being authentic and true. Pierre, I'm going to come to you first, as always. Let us know what you mean by that and give us some context for the guys. Yeah, sure. Uh, To give a bit of context, uh, we have teams scattered across Europe and even a bit further away. Uh, Some people had to travel uh, to flee uh, some conflict in their countries. So uh, 
what I found difficult lately was to maintain engagement and motivation uh, with the team that we can feel in the office, for example. Uh, in the office, when we have highs and lows, we actually can discuss it. We joke around. We can even go for a drink to just get a bit of the pressure out. Uh, but it's not something that we can do uh, like easily with people remotely. Uh, plus, um, I feel also there is this excitement in the office. So um, I'm working for a company where we use screens. So we have dashboard, we have like numbers uh, all around. So it's easy to keep engagement, to keep excitement about the products, the successes. It's easy. Uh, but for people that are remote, it's a bit more difficult to actually maintain this kind of uh, closed loop, uh, basically. Uh, and if on top of that, we add uh, the post-COVID situation where uh, and the overall economical situation of the world today, like we cannot just fly around the teams all the time, uh, like uh, every quarter or even every couple of months. Uh, flying 30 people will become too expensive. And in that climate, it's not something that we can just uh, do that. Uh, so I'm super excited to hear others' point of view and on this issue. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, um, this, this is kind of leading into my question as well. So it, uh, it's great that we are thinking alike and looking for the same answers here. Um, I, I had the, I had the fun opportunity of being like one of few people, um, uh, in a, uh, company that was very few when we started COVID, uh, and having like only one or two people going, we, uh, I honestly want to give it up to the, to the leadership of that company, uh, because it was, uh, really comfortable having, uh, a, a large level of honesty and, and trust in, in people. Uh, they were keeping everyone uh, uh, informed about what was going on, what the expectations were for the company, but also making sure that, hey, we expect a bit more from the from the hired people, but also from, from hey, we are going to, we, we know we're not going to hit the marks or we're going to move around. Um, so in my opinion, it's mostly about like evaluating expectations, uh, plan and talk a lot more with your with your uh, developers uh, because the directions are definitely going to change um, having more uh, more uh, talks with them and encouraging like individual ownership um, yeah can I uh, come with a mark I think Oops. definitely you're right about that Enrico especially the one where you're giving people some ownership to the different things uh, in my experience I had one I had one developer for quite a while in North Macedonia and then I did feel a bit of a difference when I had two and they were sitting together that was definitely that was definitely helping it and I believe I have been sitting also re working remote because we all did that especially during COVID and it can be hard to just you wake up, you get out of bed and you go inside of the living room and then you're there, you know, that's your work and you sit there for the rest of the day. It, it is kind of hard to every day find the same enthusiasm and to keep going on in the same speed and the same level. But definitely, like Enrico saying, uh, saying, give people some ownership uh, and if possible, try to place them at the, at least at the same city so they are able to, to hook up at some point some point and, and meet each other or at least just engage with another people because I believe that all of us will be quite insane if we are just sitting alone and have to find all the solutions by ourselves. Yeah, we, we still had the opportunity, at least for the small team that was in Copenhagen, to actually meet in like once or twice a week. Uh, I obviously use that uh, a lot because I hate working from home. Um, it's a lot more motivating when you're in the office, um, mm. but restrictions are restrictions for a reason, right? 
Mm. Yeah, but I'm also curious because we have this uh, problem uh, that people meeting in Copenhagen were meeting, but then the remote people felt even more excluded. Mm. And that's something that I felt. Also, we had the comment of like seeing a group in a meeting room uh, make people remote feel excluded from the meeting instead of feeling included. Uh, so that's all of that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I feel what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, a big topic these days. And it, it's very hard to have people engaged in and motivated when they are really far away from the rest of the team, especially if it's one or two persons. And uh, I think it's really important to like be transparent with them because when you are in the office, you meet your manager or you meet a, a CEO or someone and you have a short talk on the, you know, next to the coffee machine. And so you may have some information with the people sitting far away, have no clue about them. And then just know like, okay, I've heard this over here, I overheard this, but these guys don't have it. So I think it's very important from also like management to be transparent to these guys who are like far away. And just have a talk with them, have one-on-one -on -one with them, have, you know, just regular, regular talks, like have a have a coffee and they get, I don't know, 15 minutes of the day and just like say like, okay, you know, how do you feel? What are you interested in? Like, this is what's happening around this, uh, this office over here, you know, and just, just share this maybe, you know, some information which doesn't have to be work-related necessarily, but just like feel, like let the people feel that they are included. Also, when you have a meeting room, just... Maybe it's fine not to have a meeting inside of the meeting room, but just jump online, everyone on, on, on the computer. So everyone is on the same page, you know, and no one is going to feel like uh, it's excluded because we are all on the meeting. So maybe that's one of the, one of the things that, that can help to maintain this uh, you know, engagement. Definitely. Uh, I also agree that uh, having the, the one-on-ones, for example, like I know that we adopted this practice of trying to extend them a little bit. So we have like even more time for chit chat and like a bit more trying to discuss uh, how is it going, uh, not only at work, but also maybe overall, because uh, I mean, COVID was a very difficult time, but I think the post-COVID was also very difficult for everyone. Uh, we tend to, oh, COVID is kind of gone <laughs> in some countries, at least Denmark, that's how it felt. Uh, and uh, then let's not, not talk about it anymore, but uh, some people still were, I think, suffering from the COVID uh, past. Uh, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, yeah, if I can actually uh, add also to that, because uh, I took some notes from what you said, and that's also funny. Uh, most of it is actually what we try to implement or like try to, to put in place as well. So I'm happy to hear that, that we, it seems that we also took the right, uh, the right approach, but Uh, I definitely think that active trust and communication on Slack. So trying to get uh, people to to over basically oversharing uh, with the, the organization as a whole uh, about what's happening. Also being extremely transparent with the numbers, the situation of the company, where we are going. Uh, maybe there will be a few months that will be a bit harder, but that's fine. We will get through it all together. Uh, that actually might might also maybe help uh, actually give ownership to the people and feel like, oh, if they also put their weight, like we, I wish everyone will get, be on the other side. Um, and something that I noticed for the post-COVID, some people went to trade shows again uh, and oversharing about it, something that we will not do it before uh, specifically, but after like oversharing all the small successes, the quotes from uh, users, clients really motivated the team. That was actually a, a very motivation boost, I think, for the for the team. Uh, particularly, I mean, we have a few teams working on the video conferencing for professional environment, which was during COVID. Uh, they were afraid for their job, obviously, because we don't, we didn't know where we were going. 
Uh, and then after COVID, seeing that people were picking it up and loving the product really helped, I think, also uh, to give this motivation boost. Um, and uh, I also, um, Mathieu, you, you said something about like uh, jumping on small calls and uh, just uh, having uh, this communication. And uh, that's also what I wrote like in my notes, like being an example as well, like uh, trying to jump on a quick uh, call uh, instead of having like a check-in on Slack, like, oh, let's just have a huddle. Uh, very quickly just to discuss here and there. And also what yeah. I found is by being the example, the team started to do it them with themselves as well. So it's not just on the manager's shoulder, but it was actually the team overall. Um, it seems to be working, but uh, in today it feels like there is a long way to go before we get to the point where uh, before COVID. <laughs> Uh, where we could travel as much. Yeah. Um, so uh, after COVID, we we started ramping up our uh, our nearshore uh, employments as well. So hiring outside of uh, just Denmark, meaning we also hired in in in, in yeah in other regions uh, which were more dedicated to being remote. Uh, a lot of these uh, s small uh, meetups uh, being online or being uh, just daily standups and stuff like that was like very uh, motivating for them to also like, okay, you have some some kind of, you're seeing some people every day. Okay, it's remote, but at least you're talking to them. Um, and something that I specifically encouraged was like cross, uh, cross um, team uh, focused tasks or having like, cross the location between uh, someone sitting in, in Copenhagen with someone sitting near shore uh, where they worked on a very technical uh, framework project. Uh, and, and they had to spend a lot of time talking uh, both with in-house and uh, in-house uh, project uh, product owners and, and, and uh, moving the framework uh, forward. Um, that, that's very true, actually. Uh, pair programming sessions also really helped having the team feeling together. Uh, that's uh, in my note as well. Like we we try to engage even more in that because we found out maybe it was uh, a learning experience, but it's because we have a technical problem. But we found that actually people were more motivated by just doing that as well, which was pretty great. Uh, okay, excellent guys. Thank you, Pierre, for that fantastic question. I think we're going to move now on to Enrico, uh, and he mentioned earlier it kind of bounces off the back of Pierre's question, and and he kind of wanted to know how do you encourage and motivate communications between different locations that won't be able to actually meet each other, perhaps in person, um, but beyond those video calls. Uh, Enrico, we'll come to you first for a bit of context. Yeah, so as I just mentioned, we started hiring more uh, nearshore developers, uh, not located in, in Copenhagen, but actually having uh, having more developers, building up more teams uh, nearshore, which also in, uh, started having this, uh, okay, we have less people in-house, so we can't just sit down and work our way through the React tech stack or framework and fixing up stuff. We actually need to engage remotely with other people. Um, and uh, I had the, the, the opportunity to start something from scratch for the front-end developers. Uh, so having no guidelines at all, I would love to hear your, your ideas about having uh, functional. So for me, it was the front-end developers having, how do you encourage them to uh, be active? And when you have different personalities, maybe you have some introverts or extroverts, uh, people taking over. And then my second part of it is more related to how do you, because we have a very, uh, a uh, very uh, subject matter heavy topic of GDPR and law. We had to have uh, in-house lawyers and how to engage that with them. 
uh, how do you and having engaging uh, subject matter experts with uh, developers who are sitting uh, near shore or offshore. Um, yep. Maria, I think we're coming to, to you first with this one. To me? Yeah. Excellent, because I was just <laughs> thinking that this is really, that's a really tricky question. I mean, I had, in my in my experience, when I had to work with remote developers, especially because when, when the whole COVID hit, uh, hit Denmark and I was having this... Um, hospital app uh, I had to like rem I had to move around the team a lot and and allocate you know resources really fast to another project and what I think is I mean everybody is saying ag uh, agile all the time but in this case it is really important to be able to adjust the whole process all the time and be able to to listen to people and and I did that a lot I did that a lot. I mean, I had I had in the beginning of that uh, particular uh, project, we had a, an app. We had an app already. We kind of took over the UX team who started building an app, and and <laughs> and that was that was something. So uh, I kind of pulled the plug for the whole UX team, the app that they built, and we rebuilt it all again because I had a bunch of developers all saying we don't want to write it in that language. I couldn't find anywhere where it said it has to be in this language. So I was like, okay, how fast can you do a new one with the exact exact same features? And they're like, Friday, fine. This was this was <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> but that's the thing, you know. That's something to say. Okay, how how to listen to people to actually say when they come with something. Say I cannot work with this. Well, what can you work with? And and that is especially important when it comes to remote teams. What can you actually work with? And of course, people, nobody, I don't believe that if people can't uh, work as a team, then they are not a part of the team and then you wouldn't hire them in the first place. But if they are a part of the team, they have a, a certain team spirit and they have some kind of ownership for the project, then they will come with some things and say, this is not optimal this way. Can we change it? And the question will be, how long time would it take? What will it, what will it require to go on that one? And how many does actually, how many of the team members do agree to change it to this one? And then try to see how, how would that affect it? Um, but definitely giving some ownership to the people. And, and we were sitting remote. We were sitting all around everywhere because, as I said, I had to pull in every developer that I could find. So we were like like spread out on, on, on so many different locations at that point. I was just basically saying, okay, what can you work with? Does everybody, is there anybody who doesn't agree to this one? Okay, what can we do? And then we actually managed um, uh, to, to, to build a real, a new app in a, a different language in a, just a few days. It wasn't the whole app. Of course it wasn't because it was a really complicated app, but it was the same as the UX teams had done so far. And we were able to do the same in just four days and come up with it on Friday and say, well, we are here. We do change the language in the meantime. But uh, yeah, so, <laughs> nobody, so, said, nobody said really anything about it because we managed to do the same. Yeah. So kind of like pulling on what we talked about before, like expectations and ownership, yeah. like hey, really mm. evaluate on, on things. Uh, and I really agree on, on on making a product based on your, your internal capabilities. So trusting mm. the, the developers. Yeah, uh, something I value highly as well. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had, I basically had a vote on on what languages I wanted to write it in because we just had to <laughs> run fast. And I was like, is it written in React Native? We want to write it in Flutter. Okay, how many does wants to write it in Flutter? Okay, four of you, and there are five. Okay, Flutter it is. 
and then we you know went with that one instead um but that of course people took more ownership because they actually you know felt that we were listening to them i was listening to them saying okay what do you want can we have some ownership on this one can we run with it can you take responsibility that this will be the exact same shape on friday that the ux team delivered to us so far they're like yeah of course we can do that okay then we do that then we go with that i'll ask for permission after <laughs> And that's a good way of this is a good way of leadership in a way that you delegate the stuff to the people who are capable actually of of doing stuff. But uh, going back to to bit about uh, how to encourage and motivate communication uh, itself, right? It's it's kind of a interesting topic, and I think it's a, I, I said the answer for this question. I, I wanted to say it before, but I can say it now. Is that what? We implemented was something called coffee talk, and we did it before the stand up. So we never actually st- uh, start the stand up with going right technical and right into the day to day job. But we pulled in everyone from a team. So we had the people who worked in different locations, but we pulled them into the one meeting, a uh, informal meeting of uh, of just us having a coffee, so or a tea or whatever you want in the morning. Preferably not beer, but that's <laughs> yeah, drink of choice that you can do that. But uh, basically, the idea was just to come and uh, can and chat about whatever you know. What is the what what's new in uh, in the life? Like, did you go for vacation? How was it? What did it? And I think this way we encourage and like build a bridge among the people that are really free and eager to talk to each other even about anything uh, eventually. Is it technical? Fair enough. Is it non-technical? Just motivating people to communicate. (laughs) Sorry, we lost you there just for a second, Matters. (laughs) (laughs) Not a problem. Pierre, have you got anything to add? Yeah, I mean, as we mentioned already, like it's very similar to uh, the previous question. Uh, And um, uh, what Matthew said as as well, we we did something extremely similar. So we have, first of all, we extended the stand-up. So to make sure that every day we have extra time to be able to have chit chat and not just like technical and then jump on whatever we have. So uh, we did the other way around. We started with the technical part and then we have extra time at the end for people that want to stay and can stay. Um, the second thing that we implemented was also uh, related to coffee that we have this bot uh, that we have on Slack, uh, Coffee Buddy. So if you join this channel, you will be randomly selected every week to have a coffee with someone uh, that is not in your office uh, or in your office, actually, for that matter, but not uh, specifically in your team. So it was also a nice way for having the uh, people meeting other people from the organization. We have an office in New York, for example, so many people never met their colleagues. So it's a super nice way to try to to, to, to engage with the organization. Um, and actually, uh, going back uh, also to how to motivate and encourage communications, I think, again, for us, uh, first of all, we try to remove as many barriers to have a call. Uh, so like it's extremely easy to have a call uh, across the office, uh, first of all, because what we build is also made for that, but also even um, we have access to Google Meet, Zoom, Microsoft Teams. We have access to Slack. We try to make it as easy as possible for people to just jump on a quick call and just chat. Um, the second thing is still, in a way, by setting the example. So for me personally, I've been trying to have as many uh, small chats uh, online uh, with the team. And what I found is that actually the rest of the people in the team start to pick up that uh, habit as well and do it between themselves. And then it's kind of a self-regulating thing where people start to do it. Uh, of course, there is people that are more introvert than others. Uh, I mean, we have here a 
teams of uh, very, very low-level firmware engineer and front-end engineer, and it's not the same personality type, I would say. Uh, but still, we found that actually it works very well uh, to have like uh, still certain of freedom. But also, if we remove the barrier of entry, it seems that people just pick it up and uh, it seems to, to, to work well. We have also some guidelines as well. Uh, for example, we there is certain communication that we want to happen. Like, uh, for example, f- um, when it's very technical about a very specific topic, it's usually in the merge request and things like that. So we also don't pollute uh, the places where we want to have like a communication flowing. Um, maybe a small additional one is maybe also organizing uh, some social online events. We do that quite a lot. Uh, we have many clubs uh, in the company like Movi. Uh, we also do some board game nights uh, with the teams, uh, stuff like that, like trying to engage as much as possible in friendship more than just work. Yeah, I completely agree with with motivating people. I mean, getting people in, uh, and it's also something I heard in a previous podcast, is you want like social motivation triggers, like you want to engage, uh, encourage people to show up or get in the office and stuff like that. And you shouldn't force them in uh, because they are spending the majority of their time with you. So you want to keep them encouraged. Um, something I, uh, and we followed similar structure. We want uh, teams to be more self self motivated in 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 doing their um, doing their, their dailies and be more about like meeting up. We had uh, one team particularly who um, who had uh, various different projects or t- areas of the framework that we're working on, uh, and they actually started out uh, doing Scribble in the morning or Gardic phone, uh, so draw and, and guessing, uh, just as a small form of exercise, uh, just to meet up and have coffee, uh, and then they were off like normally. Um, which like motivate people to show up and have fun. And it also encouraged like the introverts to, to, to participate in something that is fun. Um, That's a very good point. Uh, there's also one, one thing that we found, uh, like uh, we follow uh, agile uh, structure at our time without like the full on uh, methodology, but we have this end of sprint meeting where we have this water cooler on Friday evening, uh, where we just demo a bit what happened during the week. But also, it's it's a it's, it's quite a long one where people are free to stay longer, and we encourage to have like a drink of choice and just have fun with everyone. And it's, we try to make it as uh, lively as possible, and obviously uh, to include a remote participant as well as much as we can. Uh, there's even a small budget for them, so they can also have their own drink or choice uh, <laughs> if they want to, or food. Uh, so it actually makes it a bit more uh, lively. Uh, we found we were skeptical at the beginning, but we found that actually people are really looking forward to this time. Uh, yeah, it's like you say that it's a great way to end the week. Uh, even we do it in, in in our side of things. We have a retro and with our teams, and then we break off into our when we get back in together with our bigger team, uh, Swedish and gaming team also, and, and play a game, like you say, and a good way to end the week and start the day. So some excellent answers there. Okay, um, moving on to the next question then. Uh, Maria, um, she's got a very interesting question from personal experiences we'll come on to in a second, but she wanted to know how can you ensure that the team does not work for several companies and is still invoicing full-time uh, without micromanaging them? Uh, I'm going to come to Maria um, to give a bit of context. Yeah, I uh, got a call uh, some, I think it was like a year ago, 
uh, where a guy asked me about a specific person how I like to work with that guy, and I was like, well, he was he was he was good, you know, he always delivered. Was I thought it was like a recommendation. How how is this guy working? Should I hire him? Should I not hire him? And I was like, well, he he's good, you know. I gave him a lot of freedom. I know about that because I don't like to tie people down. Uh, so if you had to. He had quite some some appointments throughout the day sometimes, but he delivered, you know, and sometimes worked very late. And I was like, take care of yourself, don't work so late, you know, stuff like that. However, this guy, he started like, the guy who called me started like, well, which time did he work for me? I was like, it was um, around this time. He was like, are you sure? Yeah, I am sure that he worked for me around this time. Why, why, why are you asking this question this way? I was like, that's funny. He worked for me as well, <laughs> full time. I was like, "Wow, so two full time jobs." Okay, that explains some some of it actually. And um, and 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 I was like, you know, I couldn't really do anything about it this time, and I didn't really want to. He he did deliver. It was a little bit up and down, and and, and sometimes it was you know it was very fast, and sometimes it was a bit more slow. And now I know the reason why, but uh, but. <laughs> But I couldn't really do anything but like saying, well, okay, yeah, okay, that's, that's, uh, I've been wondering ever since, and and, and since uh, Sam contacted me about the podcast, I reached out to my own network to ask, because I'm not the only one working with remote developers around the, around the world, and it seems to be something that people are wondering about, saying, yeah, when I ask people they're like yeah I also have one I don't know I'm not sure maybe you know sometimes it's he, he's very fast and sometimes he's not and I'm wondering is he doing something on the side or what what's happening and it's not that people can't do anything on the side but just be honest and upfront about it. yeah that's a, yeah. that's an interesting uh, interesting topic and uh, I don't know if you can really ensure that it's not gonna happen but what you can do about this without micromanaging people is make them part of the team which is more or less like local and or you know there is an established team and put that person into that team and i'm quite sure give it a couple of weeks and you will know exactly that there is something wrong because i think that's the easiest way easiest way to identify if, uh, if there is a problem with uh, with one person in the team is like put them into the team which is working fine and see uh, get the feedback from that team mm. and i think if if there is one guy which is dragging the team down the team will spot that and will report that in some way or give a feedback that there is a problem with that i mean honestly if he delivers though on the other hand uh <laughs> this is also a question like can you really forbid someone to work you know 80 hours a, a week if that's what they want to do i guess you know <laughs> no I don't think it's I don't think I want to forbid somebody to do it but it's more like being upfront about it you know especially now it wasn't the hospital app because that one would have been a problem it was very uh, delicate data and stuff like that that you couldn't share uh, it was really important that the people didn't use the computer and other stuff it was uh, for the Soviet benchmarking system um it wasn't really a problem because there's not like any like secret data inside it, it's 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 quite it's no personal data, no nothing like that. So it's not that a problem. It's just like how to make them upfront about it because why hiding it? You know, I try to be open every morning, say, how are we? What are we doing? Like a call for meeting, you know, say, what are we doing here? How are you doing? What's happening since last? Be upfront about it. But how to do that without saying, and what are you doing on the side? You know? 
I, I think it's quite difficult because it's also cultural uh, and it's, I think, worldwide. It's not just like specifically to one country, but um, we are told you have to have one job or like if you have two jobs, you have to them one after the other. And it's really uh, developers. We are not too much concerned about these kind of things. And I, I feel like it's having someone to be upfront about it, unless it's a, like it's totally fine for you to have that or to, to, to tell everyone uh, it's fine for everyone to, to have these kind of opportunities. Uh, I don't know if someone will be upfront. Now, uh, a bit from what Matthew said, like if the person is actually delivering on on the expectation. So, uh, for example, I know that I have quite a high uh, ex- level of expectations from the people working here. I, I would be surprised if like <laughs> uh, people can have like uh, two or three jobs and uh, not be completely drained at the end of the day. But um, if they deliver on the expectations and if from a performance perspective, they are doing well. I would say that, well, do whatever it pleases you, uh, as long as it's not with the competition, because, yeah, they, while, again, we are not living with, like, super confidential data, we still do things differently from the competition, and I would prefer them not to know how we do it. Um, and I think also, like, uh, again, talking about the, the culture, uh, I, as long as the person is engaged uh, with the company, with the culture, with his colleagues, uh, and with the task at hand and like doing performing, I would say it, there's almost really no way to, to, to know that they are doing something on the side, I guess, unless we go into Big Brother, but then I'm not sure we want to go in that, uh, <laughs> in that path. Yeah, uh, but uh, in extension to what you say about uh, working for a competitor, it's also when you work with uh, client data or you have some information about your clients uh, and you have, then you have a whole lot of information about a client that might be potentially insider information on another, in another area. So there's a lot of, uh, especially GDPR is like way over the, all over the place, right? Uh, but I could assume like economics or FinTech uh, client data would be, a lot more uh, troublesome to have uh, people do like two jobs and have that form of insider information. Um, and I'm not even smart enough to know all about that. It's just a, a hunch. Um, and but I'm I'm also and I'm and I acknowledge the the issue there's here. But it also comes at like hey, if you want to like hammer down on this, you sort of go against like a. It comes at a like a cost on the on the culture and the trust that you have in your developers. Like right? so, you don't want to be uh, like uh, shadowing all your people to see, hey, micromanagement or stuff like that. Uh, and something that I and you will probably agree with that is like um, having some form of of team autonomy. Uh, so making sure that the team um, and as as Master said, like incorporate them into uh, a team would encourage some form of team mentality. So you're like responsible for each of the close people you are working with um, and sort of grow that uh, mutually assured uh, trust uh, with your with your colleagues rather than the authoritarian like rule uh, kind of thing. Um, it's kind of what I would be leaning towards. Uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely not a, a, a nice situation. <laughs> Uh, there is a the, the only problem I would have with it that you lose this kind of a trust if someone doesn't tell you that they are doing that 
And, you know, like the trust is to be mutual, like employee to employer and the other way around in the way, right? And if someone doesn't tell you that, that's how much can you trust that person is a, is a problem. So that's that's the only problem I have with that. Like, it's fine working to each other if you want, but then like you said, be, you know, open about it and say it up front. That trust goes both ways. Situation. Yeah, exactly. Trust and respect goes both ways. Uh, so there's, it's transparency. Also a good yeah, word. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Maria, do you have anything to add to to what the guys have said to kind of round it off? Or um, well, as far as I can hear, uh, and what would probably be a good good way to do it is to to have them in a team. And as I started out with, also to to encourage people to to get some ownership and to be actually in a team uh, might actually be be a part of the solution to make them feel responsible for something else and just sitting in front of the laptop. Now, as I said, it wasn't really a problem for me. I got a good laugh of it. Uh, but the guy that called me was not really a fan of it. <laughs> and uh, and as Enrico also mentioned, if you have some confidential data, that's that's really fast, uh, can be a problem to to have this kind of data out there. And you don't know if you can really trust them. You try to trust people and you want to trust people and and uh, it seems like the best solution would be to have some teams set up where you can actually ensure that they're sitting together and I believe that would also solve uh, some part of the other questions that we had so far. Yeah that's bang on well thank you Maria for that fantastic question. Finally on to our last one from Mattis which is I mean he can't stay out the news at the moment this particular guy who we're going to talk about um, having purchased Twitter just the other day of day of recording anyway um, so yeah I love this question what is everyone's opinion from um, opinion on Elon Musk's view of work from home he is quoted in saying everyone at Tesla is required to spend a minimum minimum of 40 hours in the office per week. Uh, in, in an email uh, and then if he said if you don't show up we'll assume you have resigned Mattis come to you for some context yes uh, well the context there is like yeah this is the one of the supposedly <laughs> internal emails to the employees of, of Tesla after the COVID you know and since this is a podcast about uh, you know work culture after the COVID and uh, yeah basically you know what what he's saying is that you know there is a company so that do not require this, but you know like he's arguing that what the, what the, it was the last time when they shipped a great new product. So um, yeah, basically the the idea is like the Tesla and its mission is to change the world in a way and like bring the electric cars to the masses, right? And you know like this will not happen by pe- having people phoning in, but you actually need the people on uh, you know on site and coming together and basically kind of like be the without breaking solutions. So yeah, basically, what what's your opinion of of a requirement like that from a management? Um, yeah, uh, I I don't disagree that being in the office helps sometimes foster some creative environment. That's also why we try to bring the teams in. Uh, but I think this policy of trying to force people to be in the office expose kind of a bigger problem, uh, maybe around the leadership and the culture of the company. Uh, if you have to force your employee to come to the office, and you, I think you have a larger underlying uh, issues that you have to deal with first. Um, yeah. My belief personally is that 
if you have a great culture, a good environment and shared values with your employee, people will just feel comfortable to come to the office and they will want to come to the office, right? Yes, but yeah, okay. So you said that uh, there is a problem with the leadership style, right? Yet Tesla received 3 million job applications in 2021. So how would you explain that? I I do easily explain it like it's all over the news. Tesla arguably are still doing a great uh, calf, right? The same, at one point, Google had a lot of like uh, very bad press. Still, they were getting two to three million applications a, a year uh, without having any recruiter reaching out. out. So uh, I think that they are lucky, actually. I think you have to be in that very nice position to be able to put this kind of policy. But I would argue that by having a policy like this one, do you really get the best talent you could get? I'm actually not completely sure because people that have like actually... Uh, incredible talents and everything might look for like a, an environment that fosters creativity, trust, happiness, productivity, and also friendliness. And here, like it feels a little bit like le, the stick instead of the carrots, you know, kind of policy. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I personally, I don't really subscribe to that. Uh, but I mean, Tesla is lucky to have like a good press and to have a, a great product so they can afford to do this kind of move. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I agree with you, Pierre. Uh, it's like it's it's uh, for for smaller companies. I don't think I can talk uh, at a level of a, a, a fortune something or uh, from a, a standpoint of that many developers. But my experience working with smaller companies is like you need motivation, you need passion, you need like uh, encouragement rather than uh, enforcing, especially in a uh, what we now would. Re- consider a uh, employer uh, employee uh, driven market uh, especially if you want to like pull in new people uh, and from what I understand this would be something that uh, encourage more of a uh, higher churn on the developers uh, especially you get in get your two-year stamp and then you get out uh, now you have like Tesla Google or Apple on your CV and then you can ask for literally anything um, so you would not build long-term like structures that are sustainable moving forward. Uh, And I believe that, yes, it might be uh, something that is sustainable at that size of a company, but for smaller companies, scale-ups or or like sub 200 employees, I would strongly consider being more uh, focused on on, uh, reducing the churn of developers. Uh, yeah. Well, I believe that the, this is kind of the opposite of what everyone else is doing. But of course, they can do it because because they are Tesla. It's like Google could also do it. You know, um, there's some kind of prestige in working on those on those companies. That's that's just how it is. Um, I mean, if you if you look out, if you look around and see what kind of jobs is out there, then there are some companies they don't even have to post it. They will just get applications no matter what you know and tesla is probably one of them and so but i mean yeah you work there for some years you get it on the cv and then you can basically ask for any job after that right so yeah they they can they can probably do it i'm not sure that they get the best out of people like that and but yeah well they can do they can do almost anything I mean, the, the encouragement here is probably that you get the stamp and then you can and then move on, right? Yeah. Um, but for most of us, that's not what we are looking for. Uh. I, I would argue that 
this is not the encouragement really that you just get the spam. I would and I would not even reflect this like the Tesla as the company is the one which you would aim for, but I think it has a lot to do with the product itself. What is the company building? Like if product is interesting enough and is like revolutionary enough and it has impact on basically whole humanity or the future, I think you can like people are willing to throw out all the, you know, work from home, whatever, you know, they would like to do it, just go and join that company and, you know, follow that goal, follow the company to accomplish that goal. Uh, that's what I see more of, as, you know, why they can afford doing that and, you know, why maybe all Musk is forcing that. But there's also, uh, there's also a lot of companies that are, first of all, changing the world. Uh, I would argue that there's companies that are changing even more, I would say, the, the way we live today, at least, uh, than Tesla is, actually. Uh, but actually, also, there is a study about the fact that happiness at work also encourages people not to steal secrets, not to try to leak information, which that email got leaked because people were unhappy, right? <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, like... Uh, I would argue that probably some technology get leaked as well because people are pissed and they go to the competition, they go with like the thing. I I think actually this this can be actually even more dangerous on that level than even on just the pure employee level. Um, if people are happy and like so uh, engaged in their work, they will not go with uh, corporate information somewhere else. Uh, but it seems that some of the company with policies that are unpopular tend to have more leak than others. Uh, and we can extrapolate that to maybe others than just companies. If you look at the news from the last four or five years in the world. Uh, yeah, that's I think that's uh, that's a good proof that also it's important for you to to have this emotional intelligence to to keep uh, people engaged. Definitely. Excellent, guys. So is anybody got anything to add to kind of conclude um, uh, from from Mattis's uh, question there? No. Well, if we're all good, um, I think we'll leave it there for today. Well, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Enrico, Maria, Mattis and Pierre for providing not only their insights uh, and their questions, um, but also um, their, their vast knowledge that, and experience that they've had and, and built up through this time. So thank you for coming on. and Thank you for listening. If you'd also like to get on involved with one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.